And one of the things I love so much about this series is just been this idea that God is looking for people who aren't just fans, but followers. I wonder for how many of us today, if we were to be honest with ourselves and and to look at our lives, one of the things that we would realize is, is that in our life there are areas where we're more fans than we are followers. This past week I had the privilege of being in Washington, D.C. for just a day. Got to go to the Bible Museum. I uh, do coaching. Uh, I'm a part of an organization called Next Level Coaching, and I coach actually 15 pastors from around the country. And they had assembled all the coaches first in Washington, D.C. for just a day. We went in. I flew in on Father's Day, so last weekend I preached in the morning and then got on an airplane and, and got to spend lunch by myself in the airport. It was the first time ever on Father's Day. Uh, and then when we got there, I decided that I was, wanted to see the sights. The next day I knew we were going to be at the Bible Museum, which is amazing. In fact, if you've never been to the Bible Museum, can I just encourage you, it is an incredible, incredible place to go. Um, I, I really believe it could be life-changing. I will say this, if you have kids that are 10 years and under, it probably wouldn't be the best idea for you to take anyone under the age of 10 because it's, a, it's some deep thinking. But man, I just was so challenged in that. But back to the day before, I, when I hit the ground, I decided that I needed to take in some sights. Now, how many of you know that when you decide to go and walk the National Mall, there's quite a bit of distance there? I love wearing flip-flops. I'm just a flip-flop kind of guy, and so I threw my flip-flops on, and I decided I was going to bust out real quick. I had two-hour time frame till the other coaches got there. I got there a little early, and I was going to go and actually go see the sights. So I take off, and I am, I'm booking. I mean, I am booking through there, and I'm like, I am like one of those speed walkers, you know? I mean, just, and I had my flip-flops on, and I walked over 13 miles, um, 13 miles, I saw everything in that area, like everything. And I'm sitting there at the Lincoln Memorial, and I'm taking pictures, and I go over to the Vietnam Memorial and the World War II Memorial. I'm going all these different places, and I, and I walk past the Smithsonian. I walk over to the Capitol. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I am making my rounds throughout the whole thing. And, and as the uh, night went on, all of a sudden the other coaches got there, and they texted me and said, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm I'm still over at the Lincoln Memorial, or actually at that point in time, I was at the World War II Memorial, and they said, hey, we're going to be walking over to the Capitol. Why don't you hurry up and get over here? So then I decided, yeah, that's true, I should. And so uh, in the middle, there's this big grassy area right through the mall. And so I decided, hey, my feet are killing me right now. I had already developed blisters on the bottom of my feet and around my toes because it's not smart to wear flip-flops when you're going to walk that much. So I decided to take off running. So I take off running, I'm walking, I'm running through the grass and kind of just trying to catch up to them. Well, I've, I've been trying to really work on my endurance and things. I, I have a race that's coming up and I don't want to die in that race. But, but how many know it's important to be ready to do the things that you're called to do, right? And there's, it, it's important to actually think through those moments. Now, what I wasn't thinking about, though, was that by the time I reached the guys, I would be out of breath the way I would. So as I'm running up, they begin thinking it's going to be funny because they know that I'm probably going to be out of breath. They all start Instagramming me. (laughs) And they're capturing me as I'm coming up, 
And then they're going to ask me questions when I get there. And so I kind of get there, and, and they're like, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. I'm like, <gasps> you know, like I'm having a hard time breathing at this point in time because I've been trying to catch up to them. And um, one of the things I realize is, is I am really just a fan of running. I'm not a follower. I don't do it on a regular basis. And that wasn't the best time to pick to begin running out there, and especially allowing everyone to capture you on film uh, when you're running. Because I just had a, just a normal t-shirt, or no, I had just a normal shirt on. And, but when you're in that way, like right now, like I kind of hold my gut in a little bit and kind of keep my shoulders back. I, it was not a good photo. <laughs> so then one of the guys t- took a picture of it and then circled my belly and said, trying to work it off on the picture. I mean, it was just, and I'm literally sitting there going, I'm not a fan not only of running, but I'm not a fan of those guys either. <laughs> not a fan. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? It's been the big question we've been looking through the past few weeks. Are you a fan or are you a follower? See, if I was a follower of running, that would have been no big deal. But because I've just been a fan of running, and look at it, I'm huffing and puffing and struggling the whole way through. Could it be that for many of us, the struggles that we face in Christianity has nothing to do with the fact of how hard Christianity, maybe it just has to do with where your commitment level is. Maybe if you spent more time in God's word and spent more time in, in, in prayer, you would actually begin hearing his voice clearly in ways to where you wouldn't make the same bad choices. You wouldn't make the same decisions that you're making, you'd actually be making them according to God's word. And the thing I was so challenged with when I was at the Bible Museum was this thought, is that you and I readily have the word of God available to us. I mean, there's translations like crazy, but we have God's word readily available to us in a way that is life-changing. We can read the entire scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation in our own language. But there are 685 other people groups who do not have the word of God still to this day in their own language. 685 people groups. Think about the people's lives that are represented in that who do not have God's word. And the thing that challenged me so much is we were on this tour and the lady spoke to us. And at the end of it, she was sharing this idea of that. And she said, just think how much... And how excited you would be if you got to read God's word for the first time. And it hit me. How many times we have taken for granted, me, myself, just put me in it. I've taken for granted God's word. And in some ways, my attitude has been more of that of a fan than a follower towards God's word. They showed this video there at the Bible Museum, and it was a video of a a, a tribe, a group, a people group in this village receiving God's word in their own language for the first time. And what you saw was people dancing, people shouting, people crying. One man said this on the video. He said, I can die now, for God's word is finally in my own language. Like he had been dreaming of that and had been a part of actually making that translation possible. Are you a fan 
Or are you a follower? A fan's simply just an enthusiastic admirer. We can admire God's word, we can admire things that are around us, but are you a fan or a follower? The passage of scripture we've been exploring has been Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, apart from Christ, we can't make it on our own. He's our taproot, he's our source, he's the, he's the very thing that we need in our lives. And if we wish to come after him, then we have to follow after him. And we can have confidence in our relationship that we're not just fans, but that we're followers by allowing him to be the source from what we pull from. See, because apart from him, nothing else really matters. No matter how good you are, it won't see you through. You can be the best person in the entire world, but still go to hell. Because apart from Jesus, you and I don't have hope. Because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for us. He's the one who paid the price for our freedom. And sin, well, sin separates us from God. Sin is any deviation from God's perfect standards of righteousness. It includes our actions, our words, even our thoughts. And the consequences of sin is pretty simple. It's, it's eternal separation from God in hell. I know we don't talk about hell very much. In fact, one of the guys who was there at the Bible Museum, his name was Ryan. Ryan was the most intense, no joke, most intense tour guide we've ever had. So he's not the normal tour guide. They have other people who do that. But Ryan is like a VP or some, I don't know, he's very high up in the organization, so his time is very, very important to him. But he loves giving tours. And when he gives the tours, he literally is like talking like the micro-machine man. Anyone remember the micro-machine man back in the day? Like he would talk so fast. But Ryan was even more intense. And he would look at you and he would say this. He'd be like, okay, Dead Sea Scroll fragments right over here. Okay, right over there. We have the five. These five right here are authentic and no one else has them inside of the entire world. Think about that. Look at it. You got 10 seconds and let's go. <laughs> and literally, we're like on to the next. And then like as we're going on, he's like, okay, this is the Bible now. This is the Bible back then. Here's the Bible here. And like that is how he talked the entire time and like with just intensity and the tour that normally takes everyone else like an hour and a half, he does it in 15 minutes. <laughs> this guy is intense. But one of the things he said as we were sitting there walking through everything is he was looking at it, God's word, and he said, here's what's been crazy throughout the years is how many times the church has omitted different parts of the scripture. Do you know that there used to be what was called the slave Bible? The slave Bible excluded the whole entire book of Exodus and then any other mention of moments of freedom from captivity. That was actually omitted out of the scriptures and, and slaves were given a slave Bible without those uh, verses and those, that entire book of Exodus in there. It's interesting because after that he said, I think the church today in many ways is beginning to omit things like hell. Beginning to omit things like separation from God. We have begun to make it to where it's this foo-foo Christianity and there's no, there's no harm in it, and no, no foul, no, no big deal. And yet he said this, he said, 
Yet God's word is eternal and God's word is life-changing. See, men fail all the time. With the best of intentions, we fail. But with Christ, with Christ, we have victory. With Christ, we have um, a firm foundation that we can stand our lives upon. Jesus said it this way in Luke 18, 19, said, there's no one is good except God alone. Now you can read a passage of scripture like that and go, well, man, that's not all that good. But if you remember who your source is, and that's what we talked about a lot last week, is if you remember who your source is, then what happens is, is if God is the only one that is good, and he's your source, then your source is pulling from what? From a good place. And you can become Jesus to other people. People begin to see the life of Christ inside of you. The prophet Isaiah penned these words in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. He says, for all of us have become like the one who is unclean. He goes on to say, and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. What the prophet Isaiah was summoning up was the children of, of Israel. He was talking about them, and he was talking about how they were brought out of slavery, how they then received the law from the Mount Sinai, and then that they had come out of the Red Sea, and then they had, then they had turned from the lawgiver. So God gives them the law, but then they turn their backs on them. The children of, of Israel begin um, worshiping false gods. They're... They're uh, reveling in idolatry. And they have this illusion that they are actually righteous. In fact, there's almost this arguing that happens throughout the book where people are saying that they're more holier than others. They're claiming that their holiness is, is, is actually greater than others around them. They're burning incense on strange altars. And, and yet in this moment, God is not esteeming them for their righteousness. In fact, if anything, he calls their righteousness actually pollution. He, he talks about how he hates even their Sabbaths. He hates even their feasts. He hates the things that he himself ordained. The house of Jacob's apostasy is rendered really in, in, in the best of ways as a religion that is unclean. And as I was thinking about that and studying through that, I was thinking about, are there moments where sometimes what we bring, our sacrifices that we bring, the moments of worship, is it seen as unclean? Is it seen as moments where we're self-seeking rather than seeking him? Are we like winds that just get swept away when another doctrine comes out? When, when someone else says, oh, I think this is how it is. Are we just tossed back and forth like a wind on the ocean? Now, every day, there's one thing that probably almost all of us do. It's probably pretty safe to say this. And that one thing that almost all of us do every morning, can you take a guess what that is? What's one thing that every day you do? Everyone's like, hmm. You're making me think. Casey says coffee every day. But something that most every one of us does is this, is we, most every one of us actually looks in a mirror. Almost every day we look in the mirror, right? Like 
we, we check to make sure our, something's not wrong. We look at our hair. There's always something. In fact, in our homes, a lot of us have multiple mirrors throughout. So if you didn't somehow, if you woke up and didn't go in the bathroom and didn't look at the mirror, then at least as you're walking out of the house, you kind of looked at a mirror. Maybe you look at a mirror when you come here. But we're always constantly looking in mirrors. And what happens is, is when we look in a mirror, we begin to tend to ourselves, right? We start looking at things and go, okay, is this, is this right? You know, how's, how's my suit jacket? Is my shirt okay? You know, like I'm looking at things. How's my hair look? Um, do I have anything in my teeth? I'm looking in the mirror and I'm tending to myself. What's interesting about looking in a mirror is it only shows us what's going on on the outside. And what can happen sometimes in the Christian faith, and this is why I think we get confused between who's a fan and who's a follower of Jesus, because on the outside, a lot of people who are fans look like they're actually followers. In fact, if you look at them from the outside, you would go, man, they've got it all together. Everything's good inside of there. But, but if you look at the inside, what you would see is there's, there's some stinky things. There's some stuff that, that's beginning to rot away. Maybe there's been too many clicks to places they shouldn't go on the, on the Internet or swipes around. Maybe it's a little bit too much gossip that's, that's been happening. Maybe it's just a little bit of trash that's been coming in through the things that they've been watching. You see, being a follower of Jesus is an ongoing process. It, it requires preparation and development and focus and commitment and perseverance and, and us staying in his word. The one thing I was challenged with with just seeing the scriptures and how it's even come into, into play and, and, and just for us today, the one thing that I was challenged with is how God's word is alive and how every day God's word is speaking to us. And, and I'll say this. I have missed out through the years on things that God was trying to speak to me. And let me explain. So in my journal, I will write a day that is actually that we're soaping. I'll write it out. I'm, like if I miss a day, I normally will go back and try to fill that day in. I'm just that guy. Um, and some days I do miss. Some days I miss in the scripture. Some days I don't have my journal with me, so I'm not able to, you know, I read the passage, but I'm not able to go back and soap. And so I always write it down. A few weeks back, the Lord was speaking to my heart about something, and then he said, you know what? Open up to that day. There was a day that I was having some struggles with some things. He said, open up to where we would have been soaping that day. So I go back in there, I read through that passage of scripture, and it was exactly what I needed to hear that day. But I missed it because I didn't read God's word that day. I missed it. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, listen, Brian, I'm not stopping talking to you, but you have stopped listening at times. And God challenged me with that and was challenging me when I was there at the Bible Museum. There are people around the world who don't have the scriptures, who don't even have it. One chapter a day, we say, just spend just one chapter a day in God's word. Listen, not for, not for my sake, but for your sake. Because if God's word is alive and active, you're missing out on moments when God wants to speak to you through his word. Now you might say, well, Pastor Brian, who is it that actually decides where we're soaping all that? 
Well, can I just say, it's, it's one of our team members who decides that and puts the soap guide together. But can I just say the Holy Spirit is already speaking to the hearts and lives of your leaders here at the church? And do you know that the Holy Spirit also knows exactly where we'll be and knows exactly how you're, like, I can't put it all together how it happens, but it is amazing to see in God's word how it prunes our lives, how it begins to pull things out of us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you out. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Then he says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for what? For him. Embrace what God wants to do. How are you going to know what God wants to do? you got to be in his word. you got to spend time in his word. Fans, fans don't spend time in God's word. Followers spend time in God's word. It goes on to say this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Hmm. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. What does God's word do? It takes people from fans to followers. It prunes it begins to purge things in our lives. A good friend of mine, a pastor at Mount Hope Church in Lansing, Michigan, um, he used to always say this. He used to say, whatever you feed, the most wins. In fact, in your notes, your handout, that's the fill in the blank win there. Whatever you feed, the most wins. Think about that. Whatever you feed the most wins. If you feed God's word into your life and you're constantly taking it in, what will happen is, is you'll begin to feed your spirit man and your spirit man will begin to grow and will become stronger and all of a sudden you go from being just a fan to a follower because you're feeding it. Our brains are constantly being fed information and oftentimes it's stored in, in the back of our sublineal memory. A lot of times we don't even realize it. From the internet to the movies we watch to the friends we hang out with to the games we play, all of it feeding our lives. All of the information shaping us in some way, shape, or form. Now, I grew up in a home where there really wasn't a whole lot of profanity. In fact, I can't ever remember my dad ever using profanity or my mom. I think there was times she wanted to use it on me. But instead, she used a spoon and just, bam, popped me in the mouth a few times. My dad had the Indian belt. And I don't know why we called it the Indian belt. It had all these Indian things in it and stuff. And he would wear that belt, and he would tell us, go get that belt. And then, man, he would spank us. And, oh, oh, man. Yeah. My dad totally believed in the, the whole verse of, you know, sparing out the rod. I mean, like he... But my parents disciplined me. My parents were, were ones who actually were constantly doing that in my lives. But also one of the things I was seeing from my parents is, is I remember when my dad would sit down and read the word of God. And he would allow that to shape his life. See, each and every one of us can allow God's word to shape our lives. Think about Philippians uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, 
whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good rapport, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does it say? Dwell on these things. See, what you put in matters. So as followers of Jesus, we need to tend to our lives. So here's, here's kind of the big idea for the day, and you can write this in your notes right in there. Pruning and purging followed by rest. Pruning and purging followed by rest is a key for you and I in our walks with Christ. See, we allow the Spirit of God to prune us and to purge things out of our our lives. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God's constantly showing us areas that we can prune, areas that we need to purge out of our lives, and then past that, though, it needs to go to a place of rest, of resting in Him, of resting in confidence in who He is. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 2 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the fine, dr- or vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will what? So that it may bear more fruit. One of our board members' wives literally last night uh, put on Instagram, I think it was Amanda Marisha put on Instagram, um, her garden And she had put a picture of all the weeds and everything that were in there. And then she put another picture after that that actually showed one of the plants that she had pruned and actually pulled the different weeds that are around it. And you know what that showed is it showed a plant that was healthy, that was growing because it was being pruned. But there are so many times in our lives we don't want God to cut away certain things because it hurts a little bit. Now, I've never heard a plant talk or anything like that. But I'm sure that when it gets its leaves and some of the limbs cut off and stuff, it's not like sitting there going, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. It's actually going through a little bit of stress in that moment, not realizing that the moment of pruning is actually setting it up for the next stage. It's setting up for the next stage of growth, the next stage of producing fruit. And so for us, how do we get pruned? How do we get pruned in our lives? Well, the way we get pruned is by staying in God's word. When we're connected to God's word, what happens is is his word reveals areas in our lives that need to be pruned. But if you're a fan, you don't really want to be pruned. You're like, come on, it's not a big deal. Like, I I go to church. Come on, like, I I mean, come on, I, I, I prayed the prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart and in my life. Isn't that good enough? Now listen, I don't know how God's grace ultimately works. Chances are you'll probably make it to heaven. But when you stand before the Father, I don't think you'll hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I think you may hear something like this, boy, that was close. (laughs) You were really pushing it there, buddy. Should be glad I love you. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 says, If indeed you have heard him, you have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Listen, Christ is one who comes in and begins to prune us. He loves to produce more fruit in the lives of followers. He's looking for followers who will produce more followers. I've been reading this book called Hero Maker. Kasha's actually read all of it, but 
she was challenging me, and I had actually gotten the book for myself, and then she, she started reading it, and she's like, Brian, this book is amazing. But one of the phrases in there is this idea of true success is not the fruit on your own tree. True success is when your fruit is on the trees of others. See, God's called us to reproduce into others. Our fruit, when we allow our lives to be pruned, begins to grow in our own lives, but it also begins to grow in the lives of others. But what happens is that we can get off a little bit. We can walk a few miles down the road and begin to realize, ah, we've, we've gotten off target. But what pruning does is it gives us the opportunity to get back on track, to adjust our lives, to line up with Scripture. See, it's pruning and purging followed by rest. Here's what purging, and purging is the pulling of the weeds. Purging is getting rid of something undesirable, impure, imperfect. See, a pruning is actually taking away things that you would look at in your life and go, I thought that was something good. It was, that was a good part, but, but that needs to be pruned so you can continue to grow. Purging is these things don't belong. And there are things in our lives that just don't belong there. There are things in our lives that just shouldn't be there. I know we justify it in all our different reasons. Well, I'm old enough, I'm mature enough, I'm this, I'm that. But there are certain things in your life you just need to be purged from. You need to get rid of the undesirable, the impure, and the imperfect. And when we do that, what happens is, is, is we can begin to gain some spiritual insights in our lives. A few years back, I had read an article by Jeff Halavin, who at the time was actually um, our assistant district superintendent. He's now the, the district superintendent. You may remember a few years back, he came, he preached here and stuff. And, and Jeff Halavin is just an incredible man of God. And he wrote in this article, and I, and I came back across it, and I thought, man, how perfect is this for what we're talking about today? He shared some spiritual insights on gardening that he's gained through the years. The first is this, I just wanna share them with you, is, is one is that weeding is not my favorite thing to do, but it's necessary. Can anyone relate to that? I, we have a beautiful, beautiful backyard. I mean, the people before us spent so much money on that backyard and put all this fancy stuff in, but I'm telling you, it is a lot, a lot, a lot of work. I paid Gabe, uh, some money because he owes me a bunch of money and so he was paying off a bunch of money and so I said hey I need you to weed the backyard for five hours he was weeding for five hours that's on a young back praise God for children <laughs> that owe you money because <laughs> weeding is not my favorite thing but it is necessary isn't it because if you don't weed the weeds begin to overtake other things it's been raining quite a bit, and so we hadn't had a chance to get out there and weed. In fact, Gabe was like, I just weeded the other day, and, and we had a little uh, renewal vows ceremony at our house with a couple from our church, and, and so we were there, and I'm literally uh, mowing the lawn right beforehand because we couldn't get it, I mean, like 15 minutes beforehand, I'm out there on the John Deere, I mean, just flying around. Karis comes pulling in, and she's like, I can't believe Pastor Brian is out there mowing. Yes, I was, almost up until the wedding. Uh, got it all done, but I, we didn't have a chance to pull the weeds, and so I'm literally seeing these stalks of weeds that look like these big flowers. They're bigger than the plants that were back there. So after the ceremony, I couldn't do it before, but after the ceremony, I just couldn't take it anymore. I went and started pulling them out. Thorns, thistles, and all, I didn't care. I was like, I gotta get them out of here, why? Because it's necessary. The second is this, is weeds tend to grow more easily than the plants I want to grow. Isn't that so true? 
It's like, I want this plant to grow, but the weeds growing next to it are growing so much easier, it seems like. Number three, you can rarely remove weeds without getting down on your knees. Hmm. Think about the spiritual application for that. You can rarely remove weeds without getting down on your knees. Think of prayer. Number four, weeds can be removed more easily if they are first soaked with water. Think about God's word and how it just begins to soak those different areas of our lives. There are times where if someone looked at you, like, can I just say this? Sometimes with your spouse, if there's something you see in your spouse, you're like, man, look for scripture that's there and begin to speak that scripture over them, pray that scripture over them. Now, it doesn't mean that you sit down and you say, all right, Kasha, hey, here's some things I've seen in your life and here's what the Bible says. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking God's word over it. There have been times where I've been soaping and I'm just like, that, that verse right there is, is for my son. Or that verse right there is for my daughter. And I just begin praying that verse over them. Begin speaking that verse over them. Number five, the removal of weeds by hand requires a delicate balance of gentleness and firmness. Gently loosening coupled with a firm grasp on what needs to be pulled out and removed. If you've ever tried to remove a weed, you know that. Because you gotta pull it, you gotta pull the whole thing out. You gotta get the roots out. If you don't get the roots out, that sucker will be back the next day. Maybe Gabe, that's what you did. Did you pull the roots out when you were pulling them? All right, he says he did. Okay. Five hours. All right, yes, that's true. Five hours. And just think, I'm paying you 15 bucks an hour. That's a good deal. Some of you are like, I'm coming over this afternoon, Pastor Brian. 15 bucks an hour is a good deal. And I expect him to work. He better be sweaty. He better be nasty at the end of that 15 hours. $15 an hour. Because one thing I know is this, is that I don't owe Gabe anything. He owes me. And can I just say, some of us, just on a, just a quick note, your workplace does not owe you anything. It's a privilege for you to be able to work there. So work hard. Sweat a little bit. Put a little energy in. Make yourself the best employee. Wouldn't it be great if people, like businesses, were like literally calling us up during the weekend and be like, hey, do you have anyone at Bethany Assembly? We need good people for jobs. And we know that the people at Bethany, every person that comes from Bethany, like, they're the hardest workers ever. Do you know what happens when people work hard? They get promoted. Do you know why I pay Gabe $15 an hour? Honestly, it's because I know he's a hard worker. Now, Josiah, he's going to get like $8 an hour. <laughs> I love Josiah, but Gabe works differently than Josiah does. It's just, it's just the case. So anyways, number six, I owe him $15 right there just for talking about him. Um, some weeds are deep, and it requires the pressing of the blade into the soil to loosen the root and remove it. Here's another one. Patience is required in weed removal so as not to break it off beneath the soil. Don't rush the process when you're getting to the root of something. Hmm. Here's another. I know some of you are trying to write these down, and if you need them afterwards, we'll put them. Alyssa, let's put them on social media. There we go. All right, carefully attention, careful attention to weeds at early critical season prevents multiplication and makes less work later. Number nine, weeds often look like a plant I want, but they don't produce the fruit I want. 
Discernment and wisdom are required to remove what should be removed. How many things in our own lives do we think, man, this is going to produce something, but then what we realize is it doesn't produce what we actually want. And number 10, after the weed is removed, growth into a fuller maturity and fruitfulness can occur and a deeper appreciation for the soil happens. See, after the weed's removed, growth can happen. What are the weeds in your own life that need purged? Is it a TV show that you've been justifying for a long time? Maybe it's something you watch on the internet. Maybe it's a book you've been reading. Maybe it's some music you've been listening to. I don't know. Something that just needs purged in your life. When we spend time in God's word, what happens is, is it's, it acts like water. It acts like sunlight and fertilizer to our souls. It renews our minds daily. Prayer renews our minds. Worship renews our minds. Why is it important that we come together? Because when we come together, there's, there's this fellowship that happens that begins to encourage us to, to press on. I was listening to a pretty prominent voice in culture, someone who I would have considered a, just a great man of God in many ways. And, and even he, like, he started talking about organized religion and he put everything together and then he said, he said, I don't believe there's any place for the church. He said, you are the church. And I know what he was trying to say, but he's like, don't go to church somewhere. He's like, be the church. Sit at your home, gather other people together. And I just started thinking, man, how, you're missing out on it. You're missing out on fellowship that comes together. There's something to be said of the corporate worship experience when we're together and we begin to take God's word in. See, Jesus is the water of life. He is the light of the world. And we must be drinking of him and be asking him to come in and be a part. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Which leads me to the next thing. We've said it's pruning and purging followed by rest, right? Pruning and purging followed by rest. Can I just say, sometimes I think what happens is, is we forget the rest part. We're like, I'm pruning, I'm purging, but then I just got to get back to it. But we need to be resting. We need to be knowing that he is God. Sometimes life is crazy. Sometimes it's hard for us to be still. We have lots of responsibilities, lots of demands around us, but pruning and purging followed by rest can actually bring about the very thing that God's trying to do in your life. He's trying to take us from being just fans to followers. Jesus himself modeled it. Genesis chapter two talks about it. It says, by the seventh day, God completed his work for which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Jesus, the Father, he, he, he modeled it for us, even in creation. Do you think God was up in heaven like, woo, I'm exhausted? I don't think so. I think he knew that you and I would need things in our lives pruned, we'd need things purged, and he knew that we would need rest. Can I just encourage you? Take time away. I don't get mad when people are at the lake during the summer and aren't here. I really am not. 
I know there's empty chairs that are represented by people. That's fine. I hope people do take a break. And please don't let it be every day, every Sunday during the summer. I think there's something to be said of joining together. But don't feel guilty if you go to the lake and you're with your family on a day and you're not here. Don't feel guilty about that. Rest. Take time to rest. Take time to allow your spirit to rest. Our staff here at Bethany takes one day off every week. They have to take a day off. Have to. It's like the, that's, that's how it is. We, we rest. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 4 talks about the seventh year they would let the land rest. Exodus 28 would talk about, he says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Jesus in Mark chapter 2 verse 27 says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. You and I are called to rest. Don't just prune, don't just purge, but rest. This summer, my prayer is this, is that you would find rest. That you would find rest with your family. I know some of you, it's like, man, I don't have the money, Pastor Ryan, to go take a vacation. Okay, that's fine. Just turn your backyard into a vacation spot. Well, man, the mosquitoes are bad out there. Okay, well, turn your house into a mosquito, like into a vacation spot or a rest spot. Well, it's hot in there. Well, then just come to church. We have air conditioning. Tell us you need a room. You need to have a little vacation up in the room. Fine. Use the prayer room. <laughs> but Sabbath means to stop, to repose, to cease, to celebrate, to leave, to put down or away. My prayer isn't just that you would purge, isn't just that you would allow those pruning to take place, but that you would actually follow it with rest. That you would allow God's word to prune it, but also you would allow God's word to rest inside of you and allow your spirit to rest. So I'm gonna ask everyone in the room if you would stand to your feet for a moment. And here's what I wanna pray, is that you would rest. And so if today, if you're like, yeah, Man, I want to rest. I, pruning, purging, yes, that's important. That happens when you spend time in God's word. But the resting part, I think in many ways is a decision. And so if today, if you're like, man, I need just God's rest. God's rest to come upon my mind. God's rest to come upon my marriage. God's rest to come upon me physically, emotionally, spiritually, upon my, my household, upon everything. Like you're just like, I just, I need rest. Would you just put your hands out like this right now? Just in a moment of just receiving. Father, across this room, our hands outstretched in a position of receiving. And I pray, God, that you would be their rest today. Father, I pray that you would restore what the enemy has tried to steal from them. God, I pray that in their pursuit of being a follower of Jesus, that they would say, yes, I'm gonna rest. I pray, God, that this summer, God, you would give them moments of rest, God, as many of them take vacations, as many of them take time away. I pray, God, that you would give them moments of rest. Allow them to feel your spirit upon them, God. I pray that their homes would be havens of rest. God, that in their spirit, they would feel your spirit, God, providing for them a place of rest, a place of confidence, a place to be able to, to pull back from the distractions and the things of this world. 
And I pray that today, God, you would deposit into us just a, just a small part of your spirit living and active inside of us that would change us. And that from this day forward, we would continue to remember that in the pruning and in the purging, it must be followed by rest. May we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.